Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joel Show podcast. Today on the pod, we're reducing the size of single-family homes and allowing up to eight units on a single-family lot actually fix our housing challenges. Plus, we have our hands on an internal city hall memo showing the new Surrey Police Service budget has bloomed $112 million over what was approved by the city. Are residents ready for a potential 26% property tax increase? And should the government force car manufacturers to limit maximum speeds on vehicles? That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Now let's talk about uh, another issue that is, you know, uh, uh, relevant to all communities. And recently the North Vancouver RCMP posted news of two new drivers caught speeding at, get this, 180 kilometers per hour. There were some who asked, should government force car manufacturers to reduce the maximum speed uh, when it comes to cars? Well, joining me to discuss the issue is Kyla Lee. She's a criminal lawyer at Acumen Law uh, with expertise in DUIs and immediate roadside prohibitions. Kyla, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Lots to talk about here. Uh, Broadly speaking, are you supportive of something like this? I am supportive of something like this. I think it's an easy uh, way for government to limit people's speeds and make the roads and highways safer, but doesn't result in hitting people in their pocketbooks and, you know, uh, increasing the penalties associated with traffic tickets, Mm -hmm. which can have a disproportionate effect on low-income people, single mothers, and people who work uh, and drive for a living. Uh, I was just driving um, near the tunnel uh, this morning. I saw a couple of police officers there um, uh, just just trying to catch a few folks coming along Highway 99 uh, this morning, and uh, people do speed through there, of course. Um, the present system where we have traffic uh, patrols, you have, uh, you know, cameras in some cases, uh, police officers out, you know, uh, giving people tickets. Does it work at all right now in any way in regards to dissuading people from not speeding? I mean, there's always the idea in the back of a person's mind that uh, they're going to get a ticket. But ultimately, we don't have enough officers actually on the side of the road, standing there conducting visible and consistent enforcement to send the message home to drivers that if you speed, you will get caught and you will get a ticket. Mm -hmm. And so because people don't have the perception they're going to get caught, they speed anyway because they think that they can get away with it. Why do you think we're still having this conversation? This wasn't done a long time ago. Well, it's been a lot easier in recent years to put this technology in vehicles, especially with newer electric cars. This can even be done in in Teslas, for example, by just changing the software, um, making a slight tweak to the software and the programming of the car. So it becomes a lot easier now to force car manufacturers to do it. It would cost them pennies to implement this. It's also easier now because we're uh, also in British Columbia have passed legislation that puts speed limiting in uh, commercial vehicles. Um, The big rig trucks are Mm -hmm. required to have speed limiters for any truck manufactured uh, after a certain date. And so that also, you know, makes the conversation easier. We've already started with the sort of the low-hanging fruit, and it becomes easier to sell it to the public as a safety measure. Mm -hmm. Is there a European Union um, probably leading the world on this? I was reading a little bit on that today. They have what they, I guess, they're relying on intelligent speed assistance technology uh, and my understanding it is it's going to be mandatory on all new cars sold uh, by 2024, and they're expected to reduce speed by 30%, traffic deaths by 20%. Do you know how that technology works? Uh, I believe that technology is connected to GPS. 
So the uh, vehicle won't be permitted to go above a certain speed, which will be determined on where the vehicle is. And this answers the concerns that a lot of people have related to, you know, oh, I like to drive my vehicle recreationally on a track and drive it really fast. Um, Japan does this, where they allow uh, for people who are GPS located at a track to have that speed limiting technology disabled temporarily while they are in a location where it is safe and appropriate to drive whatever speed you want. Hmm. Uh, and so in this case, if, if you're, let's say, on a highway and there's a speed limit, so would there be a beeping in your car to remind you that you're, you're driving at an excessive level? Or is this a case of the technology actually being able to override the driver and to reduce the speed? The idea is that the technology would override the driver. So it wouldn't allow the driver to actually get to that speed in the first place. And if you were going from an area where you were allowed to drive at a higher speed and into an area where the speed limit lowers, the vehicle would naturally reduce its speed. I mean, again, we see this you know, similar technology um, with cruise control where your vehicle will you know, add gas or, or take off the gas, as the case may be, um, to maintain a particular speed based on whether you're going uphill or downhill or... or um, on a flat surface. I'm curious, would there be any uh, challenge to one's freedom rights to say, look, uh, I'm a, I'm a law-abiding citizen. Yeah, I may speed a little bit. I'll decide whether I want to be uh, speeding or not speeding. It's not up to government to override my freedom uh, or use technology to override my freedom. Could there be any sort of constitutional challenge to that? I'm very curious. I mean, I'm sure somebody would bring in a constitutional <laughs> challenge, but I, I don't uh, foresee a likelihood of possibility. The courts have consistently recognized that driving is a privilege and not a right. It is subject to extensive regulation. Mm-hmm. And this would just be another part of the permitted scope of government regulation into the activity of driving. Hmm. So let's go a little further with this and, and talk about distracted driving. Yes, there's, uh, I think there's a campaign on. One of the police departments here in the lower mainland was were promoting uh, you know, distracted driving. They're going to be out looking and and ticketing people, which it doesn't take, very, you don't have to go very far to see people are distracted, even at red lights when it comes to cell phones. Uh, if you take that technology in regards to speeding, one would assume you would have enough technology today or very soon it, it would be in a, in a, produced in a mass way where a vehicle um, perhaps would slow down or just wouldn't let you allow you to use your cell phone because of uh, the fact that you're driving or you're in a motor vehicle. I think that that would be a lot more difficult because using your cell phone while you're driving in a motor vehicle may be permissible. For example, if you're the passenger, you're allowed to use it. If you're making a call to an emergency service, um, then you're permitted to use your phone. Um, And the vehicle shouldn't sort of monitor your calls to determine whether or not that call is appropriate. Um, Similarly, uh, there are other situations in which, you know, um, something might be perceived as a vehicle to be using a phone when it's not. And we're allowed to use our phones in a hands-free capacity so long as we don't have an end license. Mm -hmm. So I don't see that technology being likely, and I don't see it also being very popular given the way that we're so connected to our devices. So you fundamentally don't think technology is a solution to deal with the issue of distracted driving that still comes down to, to, to personal behavior and personal responsibility? Yes, because we have so many exceptions to the distracted driving rule, I just don't think it would be feasible to do it in a way that made sense and corresponded with the law, at least as it's currently drafted. So when do you think, uh, and and I'm not going to hold you to this because it's almost impossible to predict, (laughs) but I'm curious, when do you think we'll see something like that here in British Columbia? If the EU is heading in that direction with intelligent speed assistance, I think with new vehicles in 2024, uh, could we see something like that by the end of the decade here in British Columbia? I think 
so. I think it, it's very likely that we would see this on passenger vehicles, um, even as, as legislation introduced at least as early as 2025. Mm-hmm. I think it is something that the government is considering and is eyeing, and they're going to watch how it plays out, obviously, in the European Union before they take any action. But I, I would anticipate that this is coming a lot sooner than a lot of us think. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right with technology today. Kyla, thank you so much for your time. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You too. Uh, we're joined now by our Jamie Judson, uh, and things are. I, look, I sound like a dad, but things are different, right? You're not going to have that one company where you work no. for forty years. You get a wristwatch at the end of it. Say thank you so much. Here's your pension. So exactly worrying about your finances, taking care of your finances is very important, particularly for millennials. Exactly, because we catch a lot of flack, us millennials, for not being just seven dollar lattes. But I did. I I talked to uh, a just a brilliant woman. Her name is Gina Judge. She is the founder and CEO of the MMG. That stands for Millennial Money Guide, and uh, it's a financial literacy company that teaches specifically like millennial women to lead financially independent lives. And uh, her whole approach is pretty unique because. I don't know about you, but when I think of a financial advisor, it's like a man in a suit in a bank. Finance in general is just so heavily male-dominated, and a lot of women want to learn more about investing in different strategies they can use to get ahead, but they find it intimidating, especially when you think about walking into a bank and sitting down with a man. So I know that a lot of the women that work with me, they feel comfortable, they feel less anxious, and they're more open to asking questions. I like that you're you're targeting an age demographic, which typically in the news and stuff, we are sort of harangued. And like- <laughs> Basically, yeah. I, I target women the ages of anywhere from their early 20s all the way to their 40s, but specifically millennial women. And you're right, there is that saying that we don't know how to manage our money or we don't know how to work hard. But I think that the neat thing about our generation is working smarter as opposed to working harder. And I work with a ton of professional women and young entrepreneurs or women that aspire to start small businesses. Yeah, it's a whole other whole other beast if you want to do something like that as opposed to, well, how then do I manage my, my income from my nine to I saw on your website, you have like a portfolio of services that you offer. So you mentioned you touched on your mentorship that you do your one on one sort of coaching stuff. But what else do you got going on? Yeah, so we offer a variety of services from one-on-ones to mentorship, but right now we're actually in the process of planning a big financial literacy seminar in Langley that we're hosting on October 8th. So with this, I do one in-person seminar each year, and it's all-encompassing, so it's a full day, super interactive. We'll have about 90 women join us, and throughout the day, we'll cover topics like budgeting, building a budget that incorporates all streams of income and expenses that you may have. We'll talk about different ways to manage debt, how to save money when it comes to interest, how to invest in the stock market, and even build a plan to purchase real estate, whether it's your first property or your second. In the seminar, in the first half of it is really building a cash flow that takes not only your income and expenses into account, but even the goals that you might have in life, like saving for a well-deserved vacation or your wedding or purchasing that first piece of property. So we're currently selling tickets for that as we speak. Where can I get the tickets to your seminar? You can go directly onto my website, which is the mmg.ca and purchase a ticket Excellent. What is a, if if that comes to mind, what's like the most underrated financial hygiene tip that you could give me right now? I would say 
the most underrated financial tip I could share is to really build a budget. It sounds simple and something to understand like how much income you're making and what your fixed expenses look like. But it's another thing to really sit down, take a look at your statements, take a look at historical spending for yourself. Do you think that people do like might not want to look at and make a budget? Do you think maybe there's like unfortunately like self-imposed shame because like maybe you secretly know where your money is going but then like when you write it down it's like oh you nailed it there's definitely a lot of that just in general with human behavior there's so many people that don't open up their credit card app because they don't want to see the transactions or what their balance is at but what i remind my clients is if you really want to get ahead in life you kind of just have to rip that band-aid off and that's where i come in and i help them you know, what's interesting uh, in regards to what Gina has to say there is she's absolutely right. I'm at a different mm-hmm. stage of life than you are, and uh, but I, I think I made some right decisions early in life, especially mm-hmm. in my late 20s, but I got good advice and eventually got into doing the right things. God willing and the creek don't rise, that will be my trajectory <laughs> from my late 20s onward, and then maybe when I am an undisclosed age, I will also own property and it make makes, good choices. It makes it makes a huge difference when you're older. I mean, I think that's all really good advice, and mm-hmm. I, it's it's not something you think about um, when you're in your early mid twenties, but the earlier you start, I mean, it is oh, just yeah. so important, and and it's amazing uh, as you're older and you think, oh, I'm glad I did that because it looks a lot better now because because <laughs> I did it. I got I I yeah I do aspire to uh, maybe take some financial tips from uh, from the MMG and uh, start <laughs> acting correctly financially. I'm not it, all that bad actually. I'm a pretty good budgeter. Like I'm pretty good with my my in and out, but. Yeah. Uh, I need to find more ways to make the in, I think. <laughs> there you go. But there's, there's too much being thrown at us in regards to where we can spend our money, right? So this is true. That's the part of it, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Vancouver City Council unanimously passed a motion for lower density neighborhoods to allow up to eight homes on a single lot. The new zoning changes uh, all for multi, uh, all for multiplex homes as an option for new builds, along with an amendment to allow for character homes to add units to the existing dwelling. Now, the motion carries a reduction in the size of single detached homes as well, but increases the size of new laneway homes. Um, with respect to zoning changes, the motion consolidates nine low density residential zones into a single new residential inclusive. Zone. Joining me now to talk a little bit about these changes, which are quite significant, is Lisa Dominato. She's an ABC Vancouver City Councillor. Ms. Dominato, thank you for joining us. Hi, Jazz. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you know, I, that last one, the motion to consolidate nine low-density residential zones into a single new residential inclusive zone. I heard that and I go, what will the blue buds of Carisdale think? <laughs> well, it, it is a significant change. Um, uh, not that dissimilar from what we did with laneways in the past. And yeah. There was a lot of angst about this idea that we were doing this blanket zoning to allow laneways. And now they're accepted. And in fact, people are clamoring to add a laneway to their property. And so I think it's just a matter of time, but I think we're going to see some high adoption of this. Okay. Well, let's, let's touch on the, 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 the first issue, which is of course, uh, eight homes on a lot, on a large lot, four units uh, on a smaller standard size lot. Um, how much pickup do you think you're going to see here? I mean, I, when I think about it and I take calls on this stuff once in a while, I always hear, wait a minute here. Uh, first of all, that's just infrastructure that is required for that lot for eight units. That's going to be not cheap. Then there's the parking challenges as well. Do you see much pickup, though, at the end of the day in the the real world? It's all well and good to put it on paper and talk Mm. about density, but do you see 
pickup in this? Uh, well, we do anticipate some pickup. And in fact, we heard last night during the public hearing uh, through staff is that we have roughly 500 applications that are waiting because they were anticipating this change. And so they're waiting for this. And we've heard time and time again that there is an interest in adding gentle density. We heard we think anticipate largely it'll be strata. And mm-hmm. there's two options there. You can do straight strata and there'll be a development cost levy or strata with one uh, affordable home ownership uh, unit as well. So uh, I do I do think there'll be some uptake on this. Uh, can you point to a jurisdiction that, that is doing what, what, you're, what you're hoping to do in Vancouver? Well, certainly we asked today about that. Victoria has already started and going down the path. Okay, now I yeah. know they've had some challenges. Uh, mm-hmm. They've put in too many conditions and I asked staff about that and they did note that what we're proposing is different. And so uh, I expect there will be some uptake. And, and we know there's a need. Um, one of the reasons that why I ran in 2018 was because of the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. And what I heard from young people and from families and newcomers is that they were having a hard time entering the market. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they were moving to the suburbs because they couldn't find this missing middle housing. They wanted townhouses. They wanted row houses. They wanted that ground-oriented homes in neighborhoods. And we just didn't have enough of an offering. So mm-hmm. this actually addresses that problem. And, and it makes it, uh, you know, it looks at affordability as well. Um, the other issue, consolidating nine low-density residential zones into a single new residential inclusive zone. Uh, I see diversity in East Vancouver, but some would argue, perhaps this is a bit based on class, uh, do you expect pushback from the west side of Vancouver? I'm broadly generalizing about the good people in the west side of Vancouver, but they're also, I would argue, uh, the most organized, uh, most vocal, and would push back on some of the things that we're talking about here. Uh, do you expect this? the things that we're talking about here, greater density, especially in the leafy west side, and mm. this being actually allowed to move forward? Well, we certainly did hear some feedback and some pushback yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, um, we've also heard on the flip side is that families, um, complaining that um, they're feeling their neighborhoods are being gutted, that there aren't any you know, young families or, or seniors wanting to downsize in their own neighborhood and not have any place to go. And so, in fact, I think there will be some uptake there. We did hear that because of property prices that we'll see maybe more uptick in East Vancouver. Mm. But again, this is a broad rezoning for roughly 65,000 lots across the city. And so uh, there is opportunity there to add gentle density across neighborhoods. And I think it's needed. Hmm. Uh- the issue of homes and reducing the size of single detached homes, uh, to my understanding, uh, you're going to reduce uh, the the size of a single family home from 2,800 square feet on a 33 foot by 122 foot lot, the standard single family lot. So you'd go from a, a maximum build of 2,800 square feet to 2,400 square feet. That's about a 14% reduction to my understanding. But that would be transferred over to the laneway house. Uh, why this... Uh, why the focus on the laneway? Is that going to make that much of a difference in your mind? So there was actually a number of questions asked about that yesterday, in fact, in the context of intergenerational living. Mm. And so, um, yes, it's transferring that additional square footage over to the laneway. Um, laneways have been popular. They're typically rental, uh, but it does still allow for that intergenerational living on one property. But certainly that was raised as a concern yesterday. So wasn't there a concern from particularly our Asian communities, Chinese, uh, Filipino, South Asian, uh, multi-generational housing is, is very common uh, where uh, you know, grandma and grandpa, mom and dad may be living with the kids. They're still okay with a reduction in size of 
a main house? Well, that's where the questions were largely coming from, from councillors, was some concerns from communities about that downsizing. Uh, again, uh, it was sort of a transfer of that uh, space to the laneway, but I think it'll be workable. For just joining us, we are speaking to Lisa Domino. She's a uh, ABC Vancouver City Councillor. We're talking about uh, changes that um, uh, Vancouver City Council announced yesterday, passing a motion for lower density neighbourhoods to allow up to eight homes on a single lot. We talked about um, uh, a motion as well that consolidates nine low-density residential zones into a single new residential uh, zone as well, and also reducing the floor space on a home with uh, the limits from 2,800 square feet down to 2,400 square feet with that extra space being allowed for laneway homes. Give us a call on the open line. What do you think of these ideas? Do you think it's the right way to go? 604-280-9898. That's 604-280-9898. Star 9898 uh, on your cell phone. Let's go to Mike from Vancouver. Hi, Mike. Hello there, jazz and guest and uh i think it's a bold move that the uh city of vancouver is doing i applaud it i do have a question and this is something where i live in langley that just has been bugging me i would love to bequeath like literally give my daughter a piece of my property uh, and have her own title on it i'm just wondering if some of these plans include that type of thing or does everything have to be done through a developer or whatever so you're saying you know if you had a single family lot the lane way home you could uh, uh, would be you'd give to your daughter or something like that well put it this way I live I live I have an acre I don't need an acre yeah <laughs> I just don't I would love to give my daughter and even another family member here have a quarter acre yours it's done here you go i've just set them up for life the problem is the way the city the township of langley works um no can't do that yeah i mean there's a bit of a wrinkle there i guess with with farmland uh as well but at least in the in the context in the context of the city if i build a laneway home and i have let's say you know my son and his uh, partner there uh could you, maybe it's a strata, maybe it's a, a separate ownership. Do you think we get to that point in any way? Yeah, and actually, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. And thanks for the caller for raising that, because in fact, that came up yesterday evening uh, during the public hearing is um, that intergenerational living and, and wanting to support um, family members. And so that was one of the questions we posed is, could we be looking at stratification of, of laneways? Originally, they brought forward to be rentals. Uh, but that is something we're going to be continuing that discussion with staff about. Is, is that something we might look at going forward? That's interesting. Uh, Mike, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it, it, Langley is unique because of uh, an acreage. Uh, because of ALR land, uh, it may not fit the same sort of mindset and thinking that the issues of Vancouver is dealing with. It's a, when you throw the ALR in, it's a whole different issue. That's that's for sure. Uh, are we going to Jonathan from Burnaby there, Stephen? Off of Vancouver. Jonathan, are you there? Yes. Thank you very much uh, to take the call. Let me share with you my concern because we are building many houses since 20 years. What will happen, you know, is that, first of all, the, the price of the lots will increase tremendously. Mm-hmm. The issue that you have is af- to make it affordable. It is not a, a matter of in, in increasing the number of supply, because based on other research, 
based on the number of vacant lots, you can add only around 200 houses under that rule. But it will create a crazy speculations regarding, you know, the cost of the lots. So at the end of the day, you will not be able to offer anything and, and make them affordable for people. Jonathan, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. He does raise a very good point, uh, Lisa, in that the minute this goes forward and you have a, a, a single-family lot that's big, there is uplift. The market itself will say, wait a minute, eight units, uh, and I can sell each one for, let's say, a million, million five. Uh, there's a huge uplift there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, how do you deal with that? Can you deal with that? Can you change that? I mean, I think uh, certainly that that was studied as part of bringing this framework forward. And and one of the considerations was, um, you know, with if you're doing purely strata development cost levy associated with that, but also um, the opportunity to speaking to affordability of if you're doing strata of, of creating a, a permanently affordable home ownership unit within that. Uh, and that's a partnership with BC Housing where there's a second mortgage, mm-hmm. which could be uh, really critical to frontline workers, middle income. So, um, but there's always that challenge, but our staff did study this very carefully. I mean, ultimately, it also says when you say home, the missing middle, you're talking townhomes, condominiums. This isn't a conversation about the single family home anymore. Not here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely right. right? I mean, we're, um, we, we've heard uh, loud and clear the need to add density in these neighborhoods. And, and in fact, many of, I would say arguably many of those single detached homes today um, are already have uh, secondary units in them. They have other family members that we've added laneways. Now we've got duplexes as well. Yeah. So it's already changed. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the part of the conversation. But people make, make the single family home affordable. Well, you're going to have to find that in, in the suburbs. In the dream of that single family home with a barbecue in the backyard, uh, that's very difficult to do in the city core. <laughs> it, cer- it certainly is. It, it certainly is. is. Well, I really appreciate you dropping by. Look for- forward to having you on again because this issue is just starting now in regards. Now it's about implementation mm-hmm. and what it will look like. Uh, and I know you guys are going to have a very busy session uh, this fall as well. Thank you for your time. Look forward to seeing you again. Likewise. Thanks, Jazz. Hey, welcome back to the show. We were, uh, if you're just joining us, speaking to Lisa Dominato, ABC Vancouver City Councilor, on some of the uh, changes that were uh, approved last night. If you're just joining us, they included allowing up to eight homes on a single lot. Uh, it also talked about uh, four units for uh, smaller lots, eight for the bigger ones. It also consolidates nine low-density residential zones into a single new residential zone. And it also uh, reduces the maximum floor area uh, for a home from 2,800 square feet to 2,400 square feet. And that extra square footage that is taken away from the single-family home would potentially go to a laneway home. Uh, it reduces the size of a single-family detached home by, by about 14%. What do you mean to talk about this issue is uh, a former mayor of Vancouver who in, uh, initially introduced uh, similar plans in 2020 when he was voted down, uh, reintroduced in 2021, and I understand the legislation, of course, passed in 2022. But I wanted to get some perspective on the, the issue of livability and affordability and housing here in Vancouver. Kennedy Stewart, of course, the former mayor of Vancouver, and current director of the Center for Public Policy Research at Simon Fraser University. Uh, Mr. Stewart, thank you for joining us. Hey, Jess. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so walk me through here. What's it like uh, uh, as uh, you're, not a, you're not a private citizen? Well, technically you're a private citizen, but <laughs> yeah. high-profile individual still, but not the mayor right now. So tell yeah. me, what's it like listening to this conversation over the last little while and then, of course, this being passed last night? 
Well, I'm really happy that it passed last night. Um, you know, when I introduced this in 2020, uh, it's interesting you had Councillor Dominato on uh, just prior to me because she's one of the councillors that voted against this initially and probably delayed this, uh, you know, significant, but I think uh, small, small change by about two years. So, hmm. you know, I had a meeting with um, uh, an association of South Asian uh, builders mm-hmm. And they said, uh, they told me that you can probably get homes built under this plan in about nine months. And it's really important for that community, for the South Asian community, because they're often, uh, you know, have construction companies and have uh, property and ability to get small amounts of investment. So uh, for those communities, uh, you know, that are building equity and and, uh, kind of smaller investors, this is a huge program. Uh, It's not... It's not applied to enough homes yet in the city, but it will make a big difference. It just, you know, the frustration of, of the delay uh, was 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 hard to set through. I'm glad it's passed now, but what, much more needs to be done. What was the opposition at that time to, to the plan? Well, it's this opposition you're always used to. Uh, you know, at that point, the nonpartisan association that's kind of morphed into the ABC party was just oppositional on everything. I mean, they... Any idea I had, they immediately said, no, we're going to vote against it. So it just took so much work to get budgets or anything else passed through. And now that uh, ABC and Ken Sim have a majority, they should just be passing stuff through very quickly. And, uh, you know, I haven't really seen a single idea from them about how we address this critical housing shortage. Uh, the 2,800 square foot uh, maximum floor area to 2,400 square feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you like that idea? And, 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 you know, using that space with the laneway, uh, some have said, look, uh, you have a, a lot of um, multi-generational homes in Vancouver, uh, and this is going to hurt those families. What are your thoughts on that? I, I mean, it, it will have, you know, pluses and minuses, but they're so minuscule, really. It's going to affect such a, a small number of people, um, you know, it's not like what the Trudeau Liberals announced today, rolling the GST off of rental housing. Like, that's going to have a huge impact. Uh, however, it still means that the cities are the main blockers, and I, and I agree with Pierre Polyev on this, is that, you know, it's the cities that really have to get cracking with the rezoning. Um, when I was mayor in my last year of 2022, we, we approved a record number of homes, including rental homes, about 11,000 approvals. Uh, and I'm just not seeing that kind of effort from this council. It's, it's, really, uh, it's really at the local level that the rezonings need to occur to allow this investment to happen. So hmm. still waiting for big moves there and not seeing any. In regards to Mr. Polyev's plan, you know, I was listening to his press conference yesterday. Uh, you know, uh, you, you, you build uh, transit stops, density around those transit stops, which one would argue we've been doing that for a very long time in the, yes, lower, yep. in the lower mainland. One only has to look at metro towns and the Brentwoods and many other areas around uh, the lower mainland. Um, w- will that work, his plan, or do you think it needs to be tweaked? Did you, did you like it overall? Or, uh, I'd love, love to get your sense of it. Yeah, well, first of all, the Liberals, uh, you know, the Trudeau Liberals are already doing that, essentially, with but they're just using the, the carrots. They're saying, if, if you build, we'll, we'll make investments in density. And they've done that. For example, uh, with Sanok, that, uh, that's got a $1.4 billion low-interest loan to build that rental housing on uh, Squamish reserve land. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, but Polyev's added in sticks, and these sticks are really bad for big cities. 
saying that you have to increase uh, the percentage of homes by 15% in a city where you already have 300,000 units built, it's going to be impossible to hit those targets. Because, you know, you could maybe get a 2 or 3 or 5% increase. Uh, small towns will have no trouble making these numbers. And what that really means is the infrastructure investment will be shifted out of cities into smaller towns, which is exactly what Polyev wants because he doesn't win any seats in big cities. Hmm. That's really interesting. Uh, overall, these changes, uh, you know, there w- there'll be some change. But what do you say to those who go, look, eight units on a single family lot, you got to put pipes in, you got a huge infrastructure challenge there. Where are you going to find the parking on some of these residential streets for these uh, for these uh, uh, units that we're putting in uh, at the end of the day? I mean, is this practical uh, in your mind? Yeah. yeah. So I spent, you, you know, introduced the idea in 2020, got it uh, voted down by ABC and the Greens, they voted it down. So then continued to work with architects, small builders, and the plans I saw for these homes are amazing. Like they, they off the alleys, you can build your uh, small, uh, you know, parking for up to four, uh, four cars in the back. Like they have amazing architectural plans that are all ready to go. And I, and I think the, uh, the parking has uh, always been a bit of a concern, but as we get the uh, transit built uh, in the city, that, that'll really help. So I was initially concerned about the parking myself, but after seeing actual plans by architects and small builders, I think that that uh, it's the density that people will really appreciate and affordable density if we do it right. Kennedy, thank you so much for your time. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. All right. Well, earlier today, uh, we learned uh, through an internal memo at uh, Surrey City Hall that the city was notified by the Surrey Police Service that the provisional budget of the Surrey Police Service for 2023 is now $160 million. That's a $112 million increase over the budget that was approved by the city. In fact, at the end of June, the Surrey Police Service reported they had spent about $15 million out of the $48 million allocated in the budget. So now uh, the Surrey City councillors have uh, been told the budget is closer to $160 million. So it's a $112 million increase over the budget that was approved by the city. So the city now has to find the money. Now, as we move into this conversation, keep um, remind yourself that a 1% property tax increase in Surrey generates just over $4 million for the city. So to cover that shortfall, you would need an additional 26% property tax increase if the savings aren't found within the budget. Joining me now to talk a little bit about um, this issue is Pradeep Gunnar. She is a city councillor uh, at the, the community in Surrey. She's also chair of the audit committee at uh, Surrey City Hall and a member of the finance committee as well. Pradeep, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jack. So walk me through this. Um, in, in this case, you've been asked for uh, more money in this case, it appears, or at least you've been told the budget for 2023 is now $160 million. Generally, when you go through these processes, uh, they're a year ahead and you get a sense of what the budget's going to be. You consult uh, and then you move forward. How does this come out of left field when you already have a budget allocated of $48 million and now you're telling me it's going to be $160 million. You know, Jack, I'm just as surprised as anybody else. We just got this information. And to say I was shocked would be an understatement. I have no idea how this occurred. And we're still trying to figure that out. 
So I just want to clarify. So the budget for 2023 was $48 million. And even at the end of June, the, the, the SPS reported that, it, that they had spent about $15 million of that $48 million. That's correct. So in this case, they came in, updated their numbers. I'm just trying to get a sense of what the process is there in Surrey. Well, we wanted updated numbers for the quarter, as well as um, for the budget consultation that we're about to go into. Mm-hmm. And so we needed that information to plan for next year. And that's when we received the 2023 new budget. And did they give a reasoning for the significant increase? Um, as of today, I haven't heard a reason, no. So now you've been handed this. What is the process moving forward? Well, I think we need to go back and um, have further discussions with the SPS um, union and understand where these numbers are coming from, mm-hmm. um, what their thought process was, if they're even accurate. Like, I can't tell you if they're accurate or not, and I'm not unsure why would we would receive inaccurate numbers to begin with. So mm-hmm. we're just trying to figure out what happened. Where's the money and why do they need it? So could one argue that, look, the SPS is ramping up while the Surrey RCMP would be ramping down and an increase in budget would mean just that they're adding more responsibility, hiring more people. uh, And uh, as they will be the uh, uh, police of jurisdiction in that community. That could be said, but I just don't see how in salaries it would go up $112 million over the next three months. There's no plan, so we don't even know if what their projections are for hiring new people. We haven't decided, we haven't gotten any information whatsoever mm-hmm. as to how this hundred and twelve million dollar increase could occur. Uh, have there been any information provided by the provincial government or through its mediator Jessica McDonald to you in regards to what would have led to this significant increase? Um, no comments were made, but we do know that they were uh, reviewed and approved by the government, um, by the director of police services and Jessica McDonald, the consultant. Other than that, we don't know what their basis of thought process was. Okay, so this has been approved by the provincial government, by Ms. McDonald. You've been notified now that this is the budget. Uh, what you're saying is that you do, the money isn't there at this particular point. Well, it's so late in the game for 2023. The budgets have been set, and we were four months out to the end of the year. So, we really do have to scramble to try to figure out what we, how we can finance this, if the numbers are even accurate. What is the yearly budget for the city, city of Surrey? It's just over a billion dollars. So, I, I believe it was 1.2 billion for 2023. 1.2 billion. So, 112 million, roughly, is about you know nine, ten, about eight or nine percent. I'm going to guess just off the top of my head. Uh, That is significant. Uh, So do you have, I mean, generally, you know, having covered city council many years ago, um, you know, there's some flexibility that you would build in a budget of a billion dollars, but generally not, um, you know, eight or 9% cushion. Do you have that type of cushion? I I believe there could be a little bit of cushion, but I definitely not up to 10%. No, not, um, not for sure. And I think the cushion would only have been available had the province decided to go with the city of Surrey's plan, which was to keep the RCMP. Then we would have had a much larger cushion. But at this point, given the fact that we've been spending in excess $8 million every month 
to keep the Surrey Police Services going, I'm not sure what extra money we're going to have at so, the end of the day. So, you know, at the end of um, whenever you announce the, the new year, there's a property tax increase. Uh, so now that this has come out of left field, do you, do you, do you add, a, add this cost potentially if you can't find savings to next year's property tax increase? I'm, I'm going to have to sit down with the GM of finance to discuss that further, but we are waiting to hear back from the SPS as to what this, what these numbers even mean and what they're for. So until we even know why they think they need $112 million, we can't even have that discussion just because $112 million is outrageous for four-month period. So I'm really concerned as to why they think they need that much money. And I think that's number one. And we're still waiting to hear back from them on what makes this, what makes up this budget that they've come up with. Uh, You're an accountant by training to my understanding. If a private sector company were to do this, uh, I mean, I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the fact that we have um, a major city in British Columbia, in Canada, really, the second most populous, soon to be the most populous. And here we are uh, in September, tail end of the fiscal year, and you're telling me you are blindsided by a $112 million increase uh, in, in your budget. And your police department can't explain right now uh, what that's, where that's coming from, why it's happening. And the provincial government said that you're saying through their plans they've approved it. And yet there's no com- no comment from them or any anybody right now as to why Surrey residents have just been handed a $112 million increase in the budget. And that's exactly what I was afraid of and what I predicted when I did the numbers last year. I, if you remember, I said that this would cost an excess $520 million. And I'm really afraid that I'm actually under um, on those numbers now. And that was just for four years. So given this huge increase, and which doesn't even include capital from my understanding, my numbers were actually significantly lower than they should have been. So just to confirm here, um, the you, you had said there would be $520 million in the overall transition to SPS, and that didn't include that's capital costs? That did include capital. That, that, that didn't, okay, so that's the total cost for the actual transition. I've yet to see any number that ever ever been handed to me, either from the past administration or even now, because you're still debating over what the cost is. Nobody's actually come out and said it's going to be half a billion dollars, except you. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying in a document we haven't seen, there's been nothing presented in any meaningful way. Well, the reason for that is because at this point, Chief Lipinski has stated he doesn't even know how many officers that they need to police this city. They don't know the number of two-man cars. Um, And they said that they're still in the process of developing a a plan for how to police this city three years in. So there's no way to accurately determine what the numbers are going to be when we have no idea what policing in the city is going to look like. Uh, the $150 million that the province has offered, and you haven't received any of those dollars yet, not to my understanding. So if, if your numbers at $520 million, the true cost of this transition in your mind, the $150 million doesn't cut it. Oh, the $150 million would cover a year and a half max. And if you look at the 10-year, if you were to look at 10 years, we're looking at a billion dollars. This is extremely difficult for Surrey residents to take in. And this is not a cost that should be attributed to them because of what the province decides for them. 
And if they're not, they need to pony up the money. If this is their plan. This is what they want for the city. Then they should have to pay for it. We shouldn't have to. And the half a billion dollars at this point that you had estimated, uh, th- those are just one-time costs, or is that for the full transition? And partially, this is those are yearly costs. That was for the full transition for the to f- get to where they should be per their 2019 plan that I just found out recently that they're not even following. So. Uh, what do you think of the Opal plan, that, which, to my understanding, I think the one-time costs estimated were about $40 million, and you're telling me uh, the real number is closer to half a billion dollars? Well, I'm, I have no idea where he got that $40 million, but Melissa Granham from the Surrey Police Union has stated that IT alone is going to cost $100 million. So I'm not sure where, what, what that $40 million was to entail. If maybe it was soft costs, for police cars or computers, but that's my best guess. So at this point, I want to confirm you're waiting for more information from the Surrey Police Service. Uh, If it does come and that number is still correct, that means the city now is going to have to scramble to find an extra $112 million. Yes, that's correct. And that that we don't have it. And so either you find it somewhere, which you say you don't have, or it's going to come out in some sort of property tax increase potentially. That's correct. Well, those are our options. And that's the position we've been put in, unfortunately. Well, uh, Ms. Cooner, I really appreciate your time. Uh, You got a lot on your plate there, and I hope to chat with you next week before perhaps we can get some clarity on this uh, as the next few days uh, SBS is able to provide more information to you and the public as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Goodbye now is over. That's all. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. It's Friday, and this is The Wrap on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Thank God it's This week, we look at our political leaders and their need to look cool. And when nature calls, do we need poop bags for humans? Certainly in Squamish as they address their fecal fear. I can't believe I just said fecal fear. Joining us today is our regular rap panel, uh, Leah Halai, she's a TV reporter and radio host, and Sarah Daniels, a real estate agent in South Surrey, author and broadcaster as well. Leah, Sarah, welcome. I'm suing for residuals. (laughs) (laughs) It's my ringtone, Sarah. That's my ringtone now. Is it really? (laughs) Yep, for Sarah. You made that your ringtone? For Sarah. No, no. No. If you didn't I'm catch last week, residuals. if you didn't I'll join us last week, last week's show, we, that is an AI version of Sarah Daniels, by the way, singing Ice Ice Baby yeah. from Vanilla Ice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's look at issue number one People today. People are dead to me. You know that, right? You're dead to me, both. We love you. We, we love you. That's right. All right. Well, this week, BC Premier David Eby uh, let out his inner Swifty. Uh, he took to social media to plead for superstar Taylor Swift to bring her tour to Vancouver. Take a listen. Ms. Swift, uh, it's David Eby, Premier of British Columbia. I'm not accustomed to begging, (laughs) but for my own constituency, uh, my (laughs) loving and beautiful wife, uh, and uh, my son, Ezra, uh, please come to Vancouver, British Columbia. We'll treat you well. Uh, I I guess I don't have to tell you you're going to sell the place out. Uh, And we'll be thrilled to have you out here. Uh, Bring your heroes tour to British Columbia. You won't regret it. And uh, like many people, you might even stay. 
Now, uh, Mr. Eby also <laughs> went on to talk about uh, uh, the fact that he didn't like Fleetwood Mac, trying to sound rela- uh, relatable. Uh, what? Yes, yes, he said that as well. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, in the last little while, we've had Pierre Polyev, who was on a WestJet flight, uh, uh-huh. where he went and made an announcement. Uh, take a listen. Who's ready for a home you can afford? Who's ready for some common sense? Who's ready to give a big thank you to the WestJet pilots and crew? This is your captain warning, a little bit of turbulence, but it will only last about two years. At which time we'll have a totally new crew and pilot in charge of the plane. We'll pierce through the storm, safely land in our home, the country we know and love, your home, my home, our home, let's bring it home. Anyway, uh, the union's already complained and we have all heard all the criticism. Uh. <laughs> so what is this need, do you think, of just elected officials uh, to look cool? Or I don't know if it's just relatable. Leah, let me go to you first. What do you think when, when you hear uh, <laughs> David Eby's, even the Justin Trudeau as well, talking about Taylor Swift, please come to Canada. What do you think it's- about all this? It kind of came off creepy, honestly. I think, yeah. like, when you think of, right? When you, It did. It came off creepy, even though Taylor's not, I'm, like, a teenager. I'm the pervy but. dad, yeah. Yeah, it's like, please, please come. But, like, when I when I think of David Eby, I don't think of cool. That's not the first no. story, David. It's not but a bad I, thing. I'm pretty sure thing. he might have got picked on in school, right? I think that, like, <laughs> he wasn't the cool kid. But, you know, he's got a good career now. But, I mean, doing something like that just kind of comes off desperate and creepy to me. I just think, like, no. And Pierre as well. Like, did they sponsor that flight, you know, his party? Because, like, if I was on that flight, I would have been like, um, no, boo. You know, so I just think that, you know, keep the politics to, you know, keep the politicians to the politics. You guys try not be cool because I think the only cool politician was definitely Barack Obama. Yeah, he was yeah. cool. He was cool. He Sarah, was cool. Sarah, your thoughts uh, on this? Is it just a, I, mean, I, I think some of them can do this, but if it's authentic, I mean, when you, you, you think. You've got yeah. yeah. You've got to do it in a Begging. way. So like, I mean, David Eby could say something along the lines of, you know, my wife and my kids are big fans of, of Taylor Swift. And of course, we would roll out the, you know, the Vancouver red carpet welcome, et cetera, et cetera. You do it something mm-hmm. like that, but you also like if you're gonna be and you know you're gonna come off as a dork, lean into it. Yeah. Like say like, hey, you know yeah. what? I'm kind of a dork. I don't really know much about like music, but my kids say that Taylor Swift yeah. is really cool. You do it that way, but you also don't get on a plane where I may or anybody else may <laughs> yeah. have paid for my ticket, and and then come back later and say that your free speech is being stifled. I'm sorry, you can't yell fire in a theater. And, like, I didn't hear you ask me if I wanted a vodka and soda. So all the things that you just asked for, I'm fine. Give me a drink because I don't want to listen. And the thing is, you know what? It's not just Pierre Polyev. Don't come at me about, like, oh, you obviously aren't conservative. I don't want to hear the NDP doing it. I don't want to hear the liberals doing it. No, anybody, yeah. Where I'm squeezed into a tiny seat and I'm already in a bad mood to have some jackass at the front start preaching to me about their political values. I'm sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to know how to recline the headrest. I want to know when my drinks are coming. That's all I want to know. So here's, uh, yep. Leah, you raised the issue of Barack Obama. Here's uh, mm-hmm. somebody who asked him, and, um, you know, who do you like better, Drake or Kendrick Lamar? Here's uh, President Obama's response. Nice. The American people really want to know this one. This is, right. actually, I lied. This is a serious one. <laughs> if Drake... And Kendrick Lamar got in a rap battle. Who do you think would win? Got to go with Kendrick. 
I'm just saying. Yeah. I think Drake is, is, <laughs> is uh, an outstanding entertainer, but Kendrick, his lyrics, his last album was outstanding. Excellent. All right. Best, uh, best album, I think, uh, last year. You know he listened like to the album. Listen to him, <laughs> yeah, right? I yeah, I got to go with Kendrick. Like, but he's I, cool I know if Kanye right. was in yeah. the mix, if, if Kanye was in the mix, that would <laughs> yeah. mean a hard pass. For but Kanye, remember, he called sure. Kanye. Uh, he called Kanye. He called him a jackass. Yeah, that's right. He called him a jackass. But here's—I yeah. remember my favorite part of Obama was. He actually bet his own staff. He had to come out and deliver a speech, and I think it was something to do with um, uh, some artist or some. I can't remember what it was, but he bet his staff. Do you think I'd go out and sing? He was delivering a regular speech, and he bet his staff. Uh, they're they're taking bets whether he's singing. But take a listen to listen to his voice. So in love with you. Are you saying you're down with TPP? Yeah, you know me. Come on. Baby, don't you wanna go? Same old place. Sweet old Chicago. Moral of the story, if you're not Obama, just be quiet. Yeah, and no, Justin cool. uh, Trudeau, don't sing, please. Yeah. Don't sing. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> find a new girlfriend. Obama's, next Obama is just inherently cool whether you whether you he are is. like a believer in his politics or not. Yeah. The guy and his wife, they just emanate cool. There you go. Absolutely. There's, there's, there's from really day not one. much you yeah. can do about it. Well, uh, I never thought we'd be covering this story, but it's an interesting one. As we all know, Squamish is a great place for climbers, campers, and hikers. Um, it attracts visitors from around the world. Well, earlier this week, the Squamish Access Society announced it had partnered with the province's park service and local businesses to erect uh, five poop bag dispensers placed at busy climbing locations with four more planned in the coming weeks. Um, although most visitors leave with little more than an appreciation for rugged beauty and temperate rainforest, <laughs> not everyone adheres to the principles of no-trace camping. Well... That's all that needs to be said. Leah, your no thoughts trace. on this? <laughs> no trace camping. I love that. I mean, how bad is it that they had to start a program to put poop bags in spots because people are using it like a toilet. Like I, I grew up camping. Like I grew up camping in like the most remote areas to the nicest areas. And I mean, this was never an issue for us ever. I mean, who's going up there to do that? I can understand if it hits you, but it sounds like this is what people are doing while they're up there all the time. I mean, if you have a problem like that, then definitely. So, I mean, is that where everybody goes now? I don't get it. To me, I just think, stand aside, dogs. We need your poop bags. I'm so sorry. Like, really? London's Guardian newspaper says, unfortunate discoveries have been made on the ledges of remote cracks of off-popular Remote cracks. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's not going to be right. the tourism That's a double on thunder if there ever was one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sarah, what are your thoughts? What, what, I'm here all week. I'm here all week. <laughs> oh, what are your thoughts, Sarah? I well, mean, I don't know how you respond of, to that. At, at first I thought, well, poop bags for the dogs, that's great. And then yeah. I was like, okay, well, poop bags for the people. What is happening here? <laughs> I, I, mean, don't understand. I, I don't know. I'm, I've never been a camper because to me, like leaving the comforts of home and ha- having no electricity seems like counterintuitive. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just the way I work. I mean, oh, yes, an outhouse. I can hardly wait. Um, <laughs> but I don't people when they camp, like, wouldn't you like bury it or cover it or remove i mean there's like you don't just sort of like i mean it's the old does a bear blank in the woods 
Sure, but that doesn't mean that you should too, right? And, you know, have a little bit of decency. Pick, you know, I, I just, it just astounds me that this is a conversation that has to happen. Because and that people are stumbling look, upon it. Yes. You know, like, I mean, are you leaving you're, it are out you, in the like, middle? Well, that's the thing is, is there a trail and you just couldn't contain yourself and you just dropped trowel right there and called it. You couldn't go behind a bush, cover it with some pine needles, you know, I don't know. I mean, and then they drive to their office downtown in Vancouver and they're, you know, to their office. What's going on? I took the Tesla camping and it was fabulous. We could do the DNA testing like they DNA test on, on dog poop to see what kind of dog or what a place they were from in some cities in california i know we yeah. should do that that's, now too right that's you just have to what submit we need. your CSI dog go poop there. squamish that's just what we need like a whole show we won't be fooled again give your dna oh. that's what's gonna happen next i mean what kind of world are we living in here i, I don't get it i have no more questions ladies i just have run out of questions <laughs> yeah you're quite quiet there jack i just have nothing to say i just you, I, you can just you can just see a, a black bear topic. walking by with like a newspaper under its arm kind of going like i had the decency to go in the corner couldn't you I just, right yeah like the the toilet paper cup of company with yeah, the exactly <laughs> Charmin. Uh, Where's the Charmin when you need it? Sometimes the yeah. first world uh, amuses me. I think this is one of those moments. But it go. does come with hand sanitizer, apparently, the bag. So there you go. Well, there, there At least you go. can have clean hands. I, I, I get, understand why they're doing it, I guess. But uh, yeah, there you the go. The fact that they have to is pretty alarming. I it mean, is. That's, exactly. just, that's what it really boils How down to. How bad is because... this problem? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, maybe you need to send all, all... Ryan up there next time. Uh, the producer, maybe you need to send him up there. That needs to be his next trip to Swamp. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> really, I'm, I'm just, pretty just... sure Ryan's never been there either. <laughs> it, it just Take goes to show, though. I mean, honestly, I mean, there's millions and billions of animals in this world. And, like, you know, obviously bird hide and it. stuff like that. But we <laughs> we don't find their bodies after they die for the most part. They We don't, like, stumble across, like, you know, all their poop and stuff like that. Only humans. Only yes. humans because we're just that smart. We <laughs> My can't cat even manage box to go behind a bush. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, ladies, on that note, we've run out of time. <laughs> oh, darn. Aww. Oh, darn. Leah, Sarah, thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. You, you too, guys. Too. All right. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.